If one of the hardest things to figure out these days is what to watch next, first of all, congrats. Second of all, you should check out HBO Max. Discover something new to watch on HBO Max like Lovecraft Country, the new HBO series from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams that's got everyone buzzing. Plus, HBO Max is the only place you'll find new binge-worthy Max originals like Selena Gomez's new cooking show. You heard that right. Selena Gomez's Learning to Cook, from some of the world's best chefs, no less. Find your next favorite all in one place on HBO Max. Start streaming today. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Cellular. Let's talk about your cell phone carrier. When you think about your plan, does what you're getting feel fair? When it comes to staying connected, don't settle. When you switch to U.S. Cellular, not only do you upgrade to fair, you're also joining a reliable network you can trust to have your back. No hidden requirements, no activation fees. Now that's fair. Learn more at uscellular.com. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who tried to buy a whistle on Pennsylvania Avenue the other day, but how weird, they're all sold out. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is John Napier Ty, the founder and CEO of the nonprofit law firm Whistleblower Aid. Its clients are all government employees and private sector workers who want to report violations of the law by their employers without breaking the law themselves. John previously worked at the State Department, leading the Internet Freedom Section. John, welcome to Recode Decode. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Let me just start. I want you all to explain what you all do at Whistleblower Aid in in much more detail. But what's gotten you in the news lately was the MIT situation. That's right. So so can you explain what you all did in that? I've written about it in the New York Times. I've I've talked—I know Joey Ejo very well. Um, Talk about what happened there because Ronan Farrow ended up using your material or or your your whistleblower. Yeah, that's right. So— Ethan Zuckerman, mm-hmm. uh, who is a professor there and is leaving now, he uh, basically got in touch with me. Uh, we use, you know, special apps for security and everything. And he mm-hmm. said, I have someone I want to send to you. So um, Signy got in touch and we had— Explain who that was. Signy so Swenson is the mm-hmm. whistleblower in the MIT case. So she had formerly been a development officer at mm-hmm. MIT Media Lab. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was very uncomfortable with what she saw there uh, really for several years especially related to Jeffrey Epstein, some other things as well. And she happened to have a whole stack of emails, basically all of her emails from her time there, um, where once you review the emails, it's very clear that there's a deliberate effort to cover up the relationship to Epstein and uh, some really creepy stuff where they they brought Epstein into the lab. uh, So... Try to picture this. Uh, Epstein is inside a glass-paneled room meeting with Ito and other male professors. And meanwhile, Epstein's air quote assistants, mm-hmm. as they were called, these young Russian women, were outside dressed like models. And the female staffers are going through the trash cans looking for notes uh, about whether or not they're there voluntarily. Can you uh-huh. help us kind of thing? Right. That was happening uh, at MIT Media Lab, and Signe right. obviously was was Disturbed not happy. By it. Yeah. So little bit about, I want to go into that, that case in detail, but let's talk about what you guys do. So what you did is you helped her do this legally. Um, and yep. it's it, it's really important in this internet age with emails and who owns these emails and things like that. I want to get through that. But explain how whistleblower aid started. And you yourself. <laughs> yeah, I was a whistleblower. A whistleblower. Right. So, uh, so our motto is report government and corporate lawbreaking without breaking the law. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're definitely trying to distinguish ourselves motto. from people who, who do break the law. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and really, that's meant to attract more disclosures. You're not going to have high-level intelligence officers come uh, to a group like WikiLeaks, I mean, uh, for obvious reasons. So I worked at the State Department. I was uh, under both Secretary Clinton, uh, Secretary John Kerry. Uh, I was in the Internet Freedom, basically, section of the Human Rights Bureau. And was part of, you know, all of the open internet initiatives around the Arab Spring and other things, resolutions at the Human Rights Council. And then the Snowden leaks happened. Mm -hmm. And I was actually not surprised by the the Snowden leaks. The Snowden leaks were Edward Snowden, who worked for the NSA. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I had been for a couple of years at that point thinking, wow, when is this stuff going to come out? It's so huge. I mean, what what the U.S. government is doing is so huge. I wasn't personally read into those programs. I I, I had no need to know. This is PRISM and some of the others, which were speaking. They were spying on internet companies and and the American people by by extension. Yeah. 
I would say they were collaborating with internet companies to spy on the American people. Yes, 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 both, both, both. I think the internet companies were surprised how much they were spying. Yeah. That's that's where they were. Yeah. So the Snowden disclosures happened, and obviously that was front page news every day for months. Did you think it was going to come out? You weren't read into this, but how were you aware of that? I was, you know, uh, let me say the intelligence I was reading Mm I was like, wow, uh, the U.S. government has some serious capabilities here. Right. Uh, and so it was pretty clear that we're we're collecting a lot of stuff. Right. And I, I would have conversations kind of after meetings with people like, you know, trying to get some hints about what was going on. So it was pretty clear. I, I wasn't surprised. That's, Any intelligent person could see that. Yeah. 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 So I was part of that diplomatic response, and as you may remember, there was a lot of anger from Germany, from Brazil, from others, you know, hacking Angela Merkel's cell phone. Others, uh, I mean, including Human Rights Watch and other groups in Geneva, uh, you know, so there there was a a vast scale of hacking that we're familiar with. And the State Department's own emails, their assessments of different foreign leaders and different things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was part of that response. We, we, We dealt with... Uh, resolutions in the General Assembly at the UN, the Human Rights Council in Geneva. And then I had two briefings with the NSA at a top secret level. I won't go into those details, obviously, but uh, but most of it is now I can talk about. And basically learned that even for the whole year after the Snowden disclosures, there hadn't been a single article about the main legal authority that the NSA is using to collect Americans' data. And that's an executive order called 12333. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's not a statute. It was never passed by Congress. There's no oversight, uh, basically no oversight from Congress, and Dianne Feinstein said as much on the record. And so this is basically the president says under the Constitution he has the authority to to do this, and they're basically using this loophole where now that we have the the cloud and the Internet, Americans' data is stored in dozens of countries around the world. Um, Mm -hmm. Before the Internet, uh, it made it, there was a geographical boundary uh, distinction between what the NSA could do inside our borders and outside our borders, right. which made sense because most Americans' data was inside our borders. It had higher privacy right. protections. So those are in file cabinets or yeah. wherever they are. But now it, Americans' paper. data is everywhere, everywhere mm-hmm. at dozens of countries, uh, all the Google data centers. And that's treated by the NSA as foreign person data by default because it's stored outside the United States. And so this is a huge loophole that the NSA is going, collecting, sucking up all this stuff with some safeguards, I will say, but probably not enough. Right. And then sharing it with other U.S. intelligence agencies, using it to seed criminal investigations and prosecutions in a way that uh, I I certainly don't think is permissible under the Fourth Amendment. Right. So they're using this because we become this global communications system, which has been helpful to a lot of people, that our global communications are everywhere. And yeah. therefore, they have much more ability to get it, no, get at it for lots of reasons. Yeah. So this was going on, and what happened to you? So uh, w- there were several things. I, it, it, President Obama gave a speech. Uh, this would have been early 2014, gave a speech about uh, reforms to intelligence practices. Um, I had worked before that speech to get some changes to the practices under 12333, which had really gotten lost in the whole shuffle, mm-hmm. failed to do so. There was none mentioned in that speech. And at that point decided it's time to become a whistleblower, had no intention of going to prison or fleeing the country. So uh, hired a lawyer. Uh, and, um, and his name is Mark Sade. He's my partner now with the whistleblower aid. Now you're uh, not a lawyer, correct? No, I am. Yeah. You are. Oh, you yeah, are. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm a lawyer as well. So you yeah. hired your own lawyer. I hired my own lawyer. Right. Yeah, yeah, you course. never represent yourself. No, I know you're cool for a client. I know that one. So, so you, so you did this, and what you wanted to whistleblow on what precisely? This was happening. Well, that the NSA is breaking the Fourth Amendment. It's mm-hmm. it, it, it's collecting all of this Americans' data, basically most of what you put on the internet, not inside the United States, but in these cloud servers around the world. Mm-hmm. It's not even telling Congress that it's doing this, and it's writing its own rules in secret for how to handle this information, and that's. You know, a constitutional. So, problem. tell us what happened. Mark was great. Um, we first met with the Inspector General for the State Department. Each each agency, just so you know, has an yeah. Inspector General. Yeah, to, uh, to and, look at problems within the departments. And they kind of raised their eyes and said, "Wow, yeah, uh, this is something." Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we're we're not the ones running these programs. You know, you need to talk to the NSA Inspector General. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in my la- I was 
quitting my job for other reasons. I actually love my time at the State Department, um, but got another job. And my last week before I quit, I met with State Inspector General. I met with staff from the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees. Mm-hmm. And then a, a couple weeks later, after I had left government, met with NSA Inspector General staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ended up, so, so that went well. And then within a month or so, I had submitted an article for pre-publication review. Mm-hmm. So the way this works is it when you, whenever you get a, Security clearance, you have to sign all these NDAs and things saying anytime you write about your work, especially if it relates to classified material, you have to submit it for review. Mm -hmm. They get to, you know, uh, redact things. Same thing with speeches and everything else, which is what got Michael Flynn into trouble, one of the many things that got him into trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So so that actually went well. Uh, And I was able to publish most everything in an op-ed in the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a couple— uh, interesting things here. One is, you know, the mechanisms to protect whistleblowers are not sufficient, but they're actually more powerful than many people understand. Mm-hmm. And what's classified changes from moment to moment, I mean, based on the decisions of senior leadership. I was basically able to get some things declassified through this process that were classified when I started the process. Like, they didn't want to f- take it to court and have me file a First Amendment lawsuit, so they just declassified it and let me publish it. Right. Uh, so I didn't break any laws. I went through the process and showed that this process can be used to push the boundaries of what Americans can learn about how our data is being treated. So the idea of a whistleblower, this idea is is to do whistleblowing in a way, again, that doesn't break the law. Uh, yep. and, and to make it clear for people, I, I know a lot of people who follow it do understand this, it is perfectly legal to whistleblow. Yes. But it's thought of, because of just the word, it's a really interesting and weighted word, as perhaps not, because of what's happened just recently with Ukraine, they're saying this bad whistleblower, like it's bad to do that. Explain why it isn't. So uh, I I think of it as, there's two concepts, whistleblowing and leaking. Mm Mm-hmm. These are overlapping are, circles in a Venn diagram. In Washington, right. Yeah. So blowing the whistle is defined as reporting violation of a law, rule, regulation, uh, ethical violations. Company policy. Even lying in public would be mm-hmm. a reason to blow the whistle, right? So you, you are reporting some kind of misconduct. Mm-hmm. Now, that's clearly protected within bounds. And obviously, as you get into classified information, it becomes very, very touchy. But, mm-hmm. uh, but in general, that's not only legal, it's legally protected and, mm-hmm. and, and valuable. Leaking is uh, sharing information that you're not authorized to share. Mm-hmm. Now, typically, that's used with respect to classified information. So if you leak classified information, you can and often will go to prison. Uh, so... Again, these are overlapping circles of the Venn diagram. So you could have someone who is both a whistleblower and a leaker. Mm -hmm. You could have someone who is a whistleblower but is not a leaker. So uh, if you have unclassified evidence that a U.S. agency or a company is breaking the law, uh, you know, you're you're not leaking classified information when you come forward with that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Signe is an example of that. She was a whistleblower without, you know, leaking, doing anything illegal. Mm -hmm. You could you could also leak information without being a whistleblower. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, there are millions, tens of millions of classified documents uh, classified by the U.S. government, and most of those, some of those probably do uh, show evidence of lawbreaking by the U.S. government, but probably 99% don't. Mm-hmm. And if you leak any of those 99%, then you're leaking classified information, you'll go to prison, but you're not actually a whistleblower because you're not showing right. any kind of misconduct. Just leaking yeah. this kind of, yeah. And then there's just leaking by companies, information or problems within a company or things like that, which is just simply leaking. Yeah, although, it, uh, yeah, it's not illegal. That's how it's, I do my it's job not, It's not typically legal. No. I, it's not typically illegal. A memo yeah. Yeah. and yeah. things like that. Yeah. I did a lot of them on Uber, a lot of memos. Yeah. A lot of memos yeah. they didn't want out, but I got my hands on them, and that's different. And then the lawyers, you know, would want to look at any kind of NDAs that people had signed and try to help avoid any kind of issues yeah, there. of course, yeah. right. Yeah. So you decide. So you were there, and you had this experience, which was good in terms of, of putting this stuff out. Or relatively, it was. It, right, was it was good. Uh, I mean— a couple things. First of all, I, I, I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. I was a lawyer. I, I, I knew how to put my concerns into a legal argument. I knew enough to hire a lawyer, mm-hmm. actually. And, you know, I had a bunch of friends who were lawyers uh, and just started talking to them and found Mark. Sure. Uh, I had the money to pay Mark. Uh, well, I mean, one of the things here is until we launched, there's basically no free capacity, legal capacity to help whistleblowers. So we're, we're pretty much it now, which obviously I'm very proud of, very happy with. But I, I was lucky that I could pay 
you know, a, a lawyer. And, and a lot of people can't because, I mean, I, I paid $13,000 to two lawyers and just was able to write that check, and, and not everyone can do that. Right. Um, and so the yeah. concept is to allow people with very important concerns about how yeah. our government and private companies are behaving uh, to get out without without being in trouble themselves, which yeah. is often the case. Now, a lot of times when people leak, it's also they also get in different kinds of trouble that aren't necessarily being arrested, but being fired, retribution, all kinds of things. I'm yeah. thinking of the Google walkout people who talk publicly about stuff there, that all, several of whom are alleging that Google's uh, come down on. But let's focus on this. So you started Whistleblower Aid, and it's funded by who? <laughs> Well, uh, we <laughs> we don't have much money. I, honestly, it's been mostly me and my family that's right. funded it. And, All right, and uh, you're, you're, we, we do have some, you know, online. Donors. So, why do you think this is important to do now? Then, well, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, been concerned about protecting a democratic form of governance, small d, uh, protecting the rule of law, worried about accountability. And, and and so it just seemed like this was the time I had been through this myself. I was well positioned to do it. There was a huge need uh, there. Yeah. Okay. We're here with John Napier Ty. He's the founder and CEO of Whistleblower Aid. When we get back, we're going to talk about some of the cases they've been involved in, including the MIT one. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. Searching for what to stream next? HBO Max is where all of HBO meets the greatest collection of movies, shows, and Max originals for everyone in the family. Discover something fresh to watch with new HBO series like Lovecraft Country from Jordan Peele, Misha Green, and J.J. Abrams, or The Undoing, starring Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant. You can also jump into a new Max original like Selena Gomez's new cooking show, Selena and Chef, or The Flight Attendant, a dark new comedic thriller starring Kaylee Cuoco. Ridley Scott's even producing a new series called Raised by Wolves. Whether you want to rewatch classic favorites or finally get into that show your friends have recommended a thousand times, HBO Max has something for everyone. Start streaming today and find your next favorite. Download the app or visit hbomax.com to start your free trial. If you're an early adopter, you get that your devices and your connections need to be fast and help make your life better. But you might be forgetting one thing. Tech should be fair, too. Fairness isn't a new idea but it is to wireless. That's where U.S. Cellular comes in. At U.S. Cellular, people come first. And that means a fast, reliable connection with no hidden requirements and no activation fees. They'll even pay you back for unused data. When you upgrade to U.S. Cellular, you upgrade to FAIR. Learn more at uscellular.com. We're here with John Napier-Tai, the founder and CEO of Whistleblower Aid. It's based in Washington, and it helps whistleblowers legally blow the whistle, essentially. Um, so talk a little bit. So the case, the MIT case, which you've talked about, is she had emails. She had emails. Why was that not problematic as an employee? You know, I know a lot of tech people, when they download emails, they download any documents. These companies are watching them carefully about what they take and what they don't take. And email, of course, is so full and rich with information these days because it's the way people uh, communicate. Explain. She was concerned and didn't feel she had a way to get it out there. But she had the email trail that proved her case. Yeah. Uh, well, I would start by saying every case is very context-specific. So mm -hmm. I can't—it's hard to make generalizations. Sure. So, so some people have signed documents that make it a problem for them to share These emails. are NDA documents. NDA documents. I mean, any kind of security policies for the tech system. I mean, certainly it would be a mistake to— hack into your employer's system without mm -hmm. appropriate access, you could definitely be prosecuted for that. Right. But these NDAs are pernicious, as far as I can tell. They're overreaching and pernicious. Yeah, and often of unenforceable. Uh, right. and, and so it comes down as a legal judgment. You, you, you explain to the client, well, look, you sign this thing and you might be violating this thing, but mm -hmm. that's up to you to decide and we can help you if, you know, how you want to do. But uh, there's a good chance that this wasn't a legal binding contract to begin with, mm -hmm. you, you won't ever know until you get to uh, a court, a court uh, right. which hopefully doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of things you can do to mitigate it along the way. I mean, especially if you're currently working at a company showing that you've gone through your chain of command or uh, other things are sort of laying the groundwork for you to be on stronger ground later on. Uh, so, so we help people walk through that. For instance, me going to the IGs. Mm -hmm. 
I knew that the IGs did not roll back the NSA's yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. collection. Really? No. Yeah. I'm surprised. But, uh, <laughs> but we knew that we had to do that so that uh, I was, that yeah, I showed I was doing the right way. And so, uh, you know, th- th- that's a lot of what we do for people is we help them walk this path and everyone is different, but how to insulate themselves from blowback. From blowback. So in this case, let's go over MIT and then I want to go over some of your other cases. Yeah. Um, in MIT's case, she was concerned and she called you. And what talk about that? She had emails. Did she yeah. have an NDA? Look, you know, she there had been policies in effect at the time she worked there, um, but they were no longer in effect, and she they had still given her access to these emails. Uh, they had never cut it off. So, uh, you know, in that case, uh, there wasn't really a, a, an issue. Mm-hmm. There yeah. wasn't an issue. And then when you're you're getting them, how do you decide where to leak them and how to to do that? Because Ronan Farrow, who wrote the story for the New Yorker, yeah. said he worked with you all for in this way. Yeah. So explain that process with a journalist. Well, uh, we would be very careful about thinking about who is the right person to tell this story. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Ronan clearly has a strong track record on this mm-hmm. stuff, uh, but but there's other stories that aren't necessarily up his alley. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, some some of our litigation we'll get to, uh, you know, it's we, we just a couple of weeks ago won a reprisal case against the CIA. Mm-hmm. That is significant. It's very significant, actually, but it's not something that Ronan would probably right. write but about. But this so. one, when you saw this one, when you're talking about it, because all these stories are different. I get that, that concept. But in this case, how did you look at it, that this was happening there and needed to get out? In the old days, she might have gone to a reporter directly, for example. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've been, you know, it, it, it's a pretty tight group, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of effort to control the information flow, um, obviously to protect the clients, to protect the disclosures. Mm-hmm. So we implement a huge amount of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give our clients all special devices that are all specially set up and encrypted and use, et cetera, et cetera. And we had actually gone through that process with Ronan mm-hmm. uh, several months ago for a different matter. Uh, mm-hmm. So Ronan was already on to our secure kind of system, mm-hmm. and so that made it easier to talk to him. Um, right. Yeah. So. And these secure systems you need to use because because you do, because people are following the track. And obviously Ronan had experience with that with Harvey Weinstein because he was being investigated by some Israeli group. and so he Yeah, was, that was the thing that we worked with him on in his <laughs> reporting. It, it'll be in his book coming out next <laughs> month. Basically, this company, Black Cube, <laughs> was hired, which is an Israeli private intelligence firm, was hired by Harvey Weinstein to go after both the women accusing him of rape and the journalists recording this, including mm-hmm. Ronan. Um, mm-hmm. And we have helped a, uh, a former subcontractor of Black Cube become a whistleblower uh, w- with respect to the Southern Southern District of New York. So, to, before, I'm going to get off on a tangent here, actually. Talk about that, protecting yourself from a technological point of view. Why is it so important? And what do you do today to do that? What are the various methods? Sure. I know they're different in yeah. different cases. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the threat model is 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 pretty extreme for us <laughs> because, especially with some of our CIA clients. I mean, these are U- current U.S. intelligence officers handling the top the most top secret things, mm-hmm. and so they, our clients are targeted by Russian intelligence and Chinese intelligence, which means that my communications with my clients will be targeted by those groups. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, obviously, the rule uh, they would be operating illegally, but they they definitely do it. Uh, then there's you know the FBI and the CIA, which run their own counterintelligence investigations, and you know there are there are legal protections in place, and I I wouldn't say they're universally ignored. I would say that a lot of these decisions about who to investigate and which tactics to use happen in secret. There's no, there's never reported to Congress or to a judge. And anyone who's at that level with, with, with such a compartmented clearance, uh, you know, there's some of these programs have like five people who, mm-hmm. who know what's going on, right? right? And so they can vary. If, if it leaks out, they, they already know who the five people are and they just mm-hmm. go search everything they've ever done. So, uh, you know, we have to credibly be able to recommend our systems to people in that position. Now, we don't want them to tell us classified stuff. We don't accept classified information, but to give them legal advice. And even just using an encrypted app or asking a lawyer for advice can be can be enough to trigger a counterintelligence right. investigation against 
uh, intelligence officer. Right, just even talking to yeah. you. So what, how robust are these systems that that, that are, exist commercially for people? Like what's happening? So encrypted the, Apple's encrypted. The only the, the, the only way to reach us, you have to install Tor browser. Right. And then that's explain that. Explain that. So okay, this uh, is a browser that. So you know, like Internet Explorer, Firefox, or whatever Chrome. Um, This is a special browser uh, called Tor Browser that was actually initially funded by U.S. government. Now it's a it's its own nonprofit, and it is a a way to access. a whole bunch of hidden sites, pejoratively called the dark web. Right. So there's definitely some illegal things that happen on there, but it's also the main the main tool used by human rights and democracy activists right. and repressive regimes right. all over the it's world. It's a so, bad name for all the bad stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, and it does have bad stuff. Let's there, be clear. yeah, there is some bad stuff. People on use there, it for, sure. for bad reasons. Yeah, but. We have a good website on okay. Tor, which right. is uh, you can basically send us a message uh, at our, our special site called Secure Drop, mm-hmm. um, created by Freedom of the Press Foundation, which does a great job, or you know they they manage it. Um, and basically, this is the sort of state of the art online communication security platform. It's it'll take you five extra minutes compared to sending an email, but it's so much more secure. So that, so that's what we do. That's the only way to reach us. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into the details, but I will say everyone who works for us has a special device that with special VPNs and special. We've created an anonymous numbers and aliases. I mean, mm-hmm. it's quite elaborate. There's right. a 40 page single space security policy you have to sign. Right. Yeah. What, what it is is you create different. It can be anything from going to China and buying an Android device and then never signing on to anything and then throwing it out afterwards to yeah. um, to using WhatsApp to using Signal to using. Signal. We recommend Signal is what we. Yeah. Use, uh, yeah. What's the other one? I'm probably blanking. Signal. The other one's owned by countries. I'm like nervous about. I forget. Te- I think you're thinking of Telegram. I wouldn't. Telegram. Use that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's from Russia. And then uh, obviously there's VPNs, which are uh, where which we can protect your browsing or whatever you're doing. Again, lots of them are owned by questionable companies. Yeah, you, yeah. Which ones do you recommend? We recommend Mulvad VPN. Mulvad? Yeah. I don't know that one. Wow. Yeah. There's a couple. There's there's a couple. Uh, and again, the, this is a way to to mask your movement on the internet, which is becoming yeah. increasingly difficult. Yeah. Because and, you're and, and we do a lot in person. Like we. Right. We have air-gapped machines and printers that we use to create documents, and then we only print them on the air-gapped printer, so it ne- nothing. There's no way for that data to hit the internet and get right. stolen. And then we we have a burn bucket and we burn up all the papers right, like right. once a week. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> paper works, and, yeah. and or you yeah. eat it or something like that. Yeah. So there's all these because what has happened is we've been, been introduced to a lot of technological wonders that let us communicate, but they track us everywhere we go. And I yeah. think people don't realize how yeah. tracked and censored and cameraed this whole country is. We'll get into that. Not just this country. I mean, obviously China we talk about all the time, but this country is the same thing. Yeah. And so, uh, so, so each of these whistleblowers get in touch with you in these various uh, technological ways to protect from the, the Internet. Talk a little bit about some of the other cases. So you had the MIT case, which she was giving emails, which she had rights to, I guess, or they had yeah. let her, yeah. and then released it to a reporter, very traditional. The guy got fired. Um, and had to resign from had the New York Times and yes, MacArthur exactly. Foundation. Exactly. Yeah, and the, the president of MIT is under a lot of pressure also because um, more emails have come to pass that they knew about it. Of course, yeah. they knew, everyone, <laughs> they always yeah. know about it. So not always, but oh, it's a shocking amount how much they knew about it before yeah. stuff. Talk about some other cases, some key cases that you think are really important. Yeah. So our very first case uh, was two CIA, CIA officers. Andrew Bakai and Jonathan Kaplan, uh, whose names are public now, been reported. They had evidence that uh, the presidential nominee uh, in the Senate for the inspector general of the CIA, a guy named Christopher Sharpley, had been uh, committing investigative misconduct, lying to Congress, uh, retaliating against people, other things. Uh, so w- after that came out, um, Sharpley had to resign his nomination. and He, he, had, he had been acting. He left as acting. We just last week for Andrew won a formal ruling that the CIA had committed unlawful uh, reprisal against him. So we're obviously very proud of that. You, yes, you right it. here. Yeah. So unlawful, what happens is sometimes when people whistleblow, they may have a great victory, but then what comes next is critically important. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, they, they were trying to push him out. But if you're in the CIA and you suddenly whistleblow on people... Yeah, and it was a it was a classic thing where they accused him of fake security violations. So right. because the executive branch has 
basically unilateral authority on security clearances and mm-hmm. security matters. They just say, oh, uh, they come up with a pretextual reason and said, oh, his clearance is suspended. We can't trust him. And then he he couldn't work. So he was on leave for months, maybe a year, uh, and then finally just quit and started his own law firm. So so now you won this reprisal case. Yeah. And where yeah. does it go from here for him? He unveiled this. This person didn't get. We're going to keep pushing and, uh, you know, see what kind of result we can get from the CIA. Uh, he's gone on to an illustrious career, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's now uh, the, the, the lead lawyer for the intelligence whistleblower you've been. Mm-hmm. reading about in the New York Times. Right. And then uh, give me another example of a case, this Homeland Agency security or the Department of Housing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, a few things. Um, Department of Homeland Security, uh, there's a presidential nominee in the Senate right now named William Bryan. Bryan is currently acting undersecretary at DHS. He had been at Department of Energy. And while he was there, he was the point person for energy policy towards the country of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. This was back in 2013, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. One of his colleagues who became our client basically was really upset and freaked out that it seemed like he was not pursuing American interests, that he was basically cultivating relationships with oligarchs and their staff to advance his private energy consulting business. Mm-hmm. He wrote a report that uh, validated this coal monopoly by this guy, Renat Akhmatov, in Ukraine. So... My client, Bob Ivey, came to me maybe a year ago, over just over a year ago, and we uh, we filed a couple of, um, you know, we filed a disclosure with the U.S. Office of Special Counsel and a reprisal complaint. Um, and so just last week, uh, that this, the U.S. Office of Special Counsel referred that disclosure to Secretary Perry, Secretary of Energy, for further investigation, mm-hmm. saying that they had found a significant likelihood of misconduct uh, by by Brian. So we're obviously hoping he is not confirmed um, and that he is, is forced out of government because he mm-hmm. should be. And we are well along the way of uh, getting a good job result for, for our client uh, at, who's still at DOE. And so he has to be there at the same time that this is all happening. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, he's there. Yeah, but okay. but he's he, we're finding a good niche for him. So. so it's the ability for someone to to point out uh, this is they're saying there's substantial likelihood that this ha- what he's correct, right? Yeah, that essentially. That. And then the next step for this is what? Well, uh, obviously, we're all concerned about stopping the nomination of William Bryan mm-hmm. to serve uh, in this position of trust. Um, that you know, I would say that's the main thing because we're very close to signing a, a favorable settlement on the uh, Bob's uh, job. Mm-hmm. So, and but the goal is to get the bad actor out. That's yeah. what the goal of every whistleblower is. Yeah. All right. Talk about this uh, this housing agency chief. Okay. Uh, our client Simone Grimes is a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had evidence that the the former head of uh, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, a guy named Mel Watt, who had been a Democratic congressman, mm-hmm. committed. Uh, both pay discrimination and, and pretty egregious sexual harassment. She had him on tape saying things like, let's discuss our sexual attraction. I, I, I'm paraphrasing here, so don't quote yeah, me. But things like, right. let's discuss our sexual attraction alone at my vacation house this weekend. Yeah. That kind of thing. That's a line. Uh, and and the, the, her pay, her you know, her pay discrimination complaint was contingent on that discussion kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so pretty egregious. You, the, the reason most people haven't heard of it is it, there was actually an eight-hour hearing uh, in the House of Representatives last year. But the reason, and in most worlds, that would probably be a front-page news story. This is a mm-hmm. Senate-confirmed official saying these things on tape. That hearing was literally simultaneous with the Kavanaugh hearing happening on the oh, other side no. of the Capitol building. So, obviously, the media covered that. And this, Lucky Mel Watt. Yeah, Lucky Mel Watt. Uh, th- <laughs> this story didn't get nearly the coverage it deserved for, mm-hmm. for that reason. I, I, I won't speak out of turn here, but I will say that we did a lot of advocacy for Simone. We even had a billboard, a mobile billboard on the back of a flatbed truck driving in circles around the FHFA office for like three or four weeks saying, uh, we, basically sending, saying, saying fire Mel Watt. Right, um, exactly. And so we, these are all different. You pointed out these are all very different. As we get back, I want to talk a little bit about where whistleblowing is going in the modern age. Obviously, you have to protect the whistleblowers, but at the same time, the amount, 
massive amount of, of email, the massive amount of text, the massive amount of things does create an opportunity and a problem at the same time. Uh, I'm thinking of what's happening with Ukraine this week, and I want to get into that. And then also a lot of these companies, the amount of information they have on people and, and who should protect this so that people do not are able to do these things uh, in a way that's legal. We're here with John Napier-Tai. He's the founder and CEO of Whistleblower Aid. We're going to take a quick break now, and we'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from State Farm. With surprisingly great rates, State Farm is the real deal when it comes to home and car insurance. State Farm agents are always ready to help you personalize your insurance plan so you can create a policy that fits your needs. You can manage your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim right from your phone with the State Farm mobile app. And you can always call one of the State Farm agents in neighborhoods across the country. Get a great rate without sacrificing great service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We're here with John Napier-Tai. He's a lawyer and a former State Department official who is the founder and CEO of Whistleblower Aid, which helps whistleblowers of all kinds whistleblow legally. So let's first talk about what's happening this week in the Ukraine. This is a whistleblower. It is. So explain for the people what's happening. Well, my colleagues at Whistleblower Aid, two members of our legal team, are this person's lawyers. That's so right. Andrew Bakai and, and uh, uh, Mark Zaid. Broadly speaking, a U.S. official, I I, I can't really go into details, Mm -hmm. a U.S. official had what they considered an urgent concern, which is a legal term of art, that Mm -hmm. uh, that, um, related to communications uh, with a foreign government Mm -hmm. and brought that concern to the inspector general of the intelligence community. Which is the first step, right. It can be the first step. It's not necessary. There's actually a lot of options, but it's a typical first step. Mm -hmm. That inspector general found that this met the legal standard to be a, quote, urgent concern. Mm -hmm. Um, But nevertheless, uh, the director of national intelligence refused to turn that urgent concern over to Congress. Which is supposed to go to Congress. Yes. Yeah. Or it had previously. Well, it's 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 a confusing situation. There's basically some uh, imperfections or ambiguities in the law here, where mm-hmm. um, if <laughs> if the if the IG had found it was not an urgent concern, then the whistleblower would have a clear path to go to Congress. I see. But it was never contemplated by the people who wrote the statute that something that did constitute an urgent concern would not be permitted to go to Congress. Right. Uh, and that's where we find ourselves uh, mm-hmm. today. They love to slip through these laws, don't they? Yeah. So you're representing him. and what, I, I am not representing him. My, my your, colleagues. Your colleagues are. Yeah. So right now, since you cannot talk about this, is what's been reported, and the president has said it, is that first he pretended he knew the whistleblower, which he hopefully does not know who that is, but he, that he was a Democrat at some point, all kinds of things, making trying to FUD the situation really expertly, which is they do very well. But basically he said he did have this conversation. It has to do with the Ukraine again. Um, and that he had, uh, he's essentially admitted, and his lawyer has admitted that they were trying to get the Ukraine to uh, to investigate Joe Biden, his political rival. Uh, there's some allegations that they withheld aid because of that uh, to the Ukraine in order to do something for private uh, political uh, impact that would aid uh, President Trump. At the very same time, I just did an interview with the head of the FEC, the Federal Election Commission. There's no way to pursue this because there's not a quora at the Federal Election Commission. So it's kind of a perfect storm of uh, possible corruption, alleged corruption. So what happens now with this whistleblower? What, is, what, what occurs? This just, it's a standoff between uh, essentially the White House and Congress again. <coughs> You're choosing I can't, your words well, carefully. Well, I, I can't really talk about this case. I'm All sorry. Right. Okay. Yeah. Talk about the—but this idea is this, the people continue to whistleblow in these— Yeah. Well, so one of the sort of hypotheses when we started Whistleblower Aid is that sort of the way that the world is moving, the structure of uh, government and economies is uh, whistleblowers are becoming systematically more important every day that goes by. Right. And the reason for that is is that, uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, if you think about the biggest threats to, you know, democracy and, and, and governance— uh, it was things like segregation or, you know, like things where there's clear laws on the books and everyone knows what these laws are and we need to overthrow, you know, overturn these laws. So much of uh, the threats, you know, threats to democracy today are hidden and covert. And it's about the control of information, the misuse of information. And that's true, obviously, in all these tech companies, all these government agencies. And so 
as that happens, as threats to democracy are contingent on the control of information, the mm -hmm. value of whistleblowers is going up every single day. Right. And the threats to whistleblowers for retaliation and for people to find out who they are. So, you know, I, I would say we, we are trying to fill that gap. And there is, I would say we're only scratching the surface you know, there are so there are a lot of cases that we've gotten in and that we've just had to say no on because we don't have enough people and lawyers and stuff. My point is that the demand for this is, if you look nationally and globally, it's basically infinite. I mean, right, infinite. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think of all of the. Here's when we have the the money and the staff. I want to expand into things like criminal justice. Mm -hmm. I, I was a legal aid lawyer in in Louisiana. You know, there's staff in those police forces in New Orleans and and, and those parishes down there, the, the the district attorneys, who have a lot of evidence that these law enforcement officers are breaking the law, mm -hmm. uh, railroading innocent people, whatever it is. Um, and they should we should represent those people and start disbarring these lawyers. I mm -hmm. mean. Um, so talk about that idea that here there's never been a bigger need because the information is covert um, and the. And the ability to track these people has never been stronger. And at the same time, the ability for whistleblowers to have their people, the people they're whistleblowing on, their behavior tracked has also never been better. Everyone's in emails. I'm thinking of like, I was talking this morning because some of the governments, the government is investigating, different governments are investing in all the tech companies. And the only thing I'm thinking about is, oh, the emails. Like, you know, it's, a, it's the Hillary Clinton joke, but boy, are there going to be a lot of, in, is there going to be a lot of good evidence that will be look bad yeah. if, if correctly assembled? Yeah, I mean, uh that's my so when, when whistleblowers come and ask me for advice, my first piece of advice is always talk to a lawyer first before you do anything else. Mm -hmm. But then the, the very second piece of advice is secure the evidence. Mm -hmm. And typically that's not forwarding the emails to journalists, it's printing them off because you don't want to create a record of forwarding to anyone. Right, right. Uh, or even on a secure device, it, it, it's difficult. You wouldn't do this for classified information, mm -hmm. but you know, you can take photos with your secure device yeah. of the screen so that there's no evidence even of printing. Right. You know, Things like that. So, so you're you're looking to preserve the evidence without creating a trail that leads back to you, right? And and so talk about the secure device. I, I always tell people to take a picture of it, but not on a phone that's attached to the internet or just a camera. I would buy a new phone, right? Or or an iPod. Actually, the iPod is cheap and small, and it has you know it doesn't connect to. 4G, 3G, but it connects to Wi-Fi, so. Right, so you can then have, yeah. be able to send it or keep it or move it somewhere else. Yeah. I, I, get a new—don't use your personal device. Right. Or definitely not a work device for right. any, any of this. No. People do use work devices. I was always fascinated <laughs> when they would send me memos like, don't do that. <laughs> Just a picture of it's fine yeah. and on yeah. a device that isn't owned by your company and possibly a camera. Yeah. Just send me a— camera picture at this number and stuff like that. Um, so, so, but, but there's never been more information available at the same time because the government and these companies are generating enormous amounts of proof of, of behavior. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, look at MIT. I mean, this is an astonishing—I couldn't believe those emails that they didn't know that they could possibly dis be discovered at some point or downloaded by people. Uh, don't send emails that you don't want— <laughs> In, in the New Yorker. <laughs> Were you surprised by those emails? I was like, wow, you don't even have to try to prove what they're doing. But they gave them nicknames. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not especially surprised. I mean, you know, it seems pretty straightforward. They wanted Epstein's money. They didn't want to associate with him. Right. I mean, but it so. was astonishing. And then the second part is, is so this Mel Watt thing is the recordings. Look at what happened to Roger Ailes. Look at what happened to— Yeah. How do you treat those? Because anyone, anyone with a cell phone. Well, again, it's very sensitive. I, I mean, night. again, talk to a lawyer before you do anything because in some states it's illegal to record someone without their knowledge and consent. So, like, we don't want to get people in trouble here, and you know, so that's why the the advice is always talk to a lawyer first. But in general, people just are doing it in any case, correct? And then releasing it or 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 having it in their back pocket or something else. Yeah, I mean. This is the world. This is the world. And, and, and you know, uh, I, I, I will. Let me say, I'll be interested to see as the uh, Epstein story develops, uh, mm -hmm. what kind of uh, evidence Epstein was collecting on his friends. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just am waiting for that shoe to drop. I'm hoping people with subpoena power we'll can get I, that. I, we, I, I obviously don't know. Have no, but you'd have knowledge. to assume that this was. Yeah. This is the thing. So you've got cameras. 
you've got you've got to make sure that when you're taking pictures or doing else that you're doing it legally, correct, or not within a state or taping someone. Although sometimes it hardly matters if you can use it for leverage, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't want to also blackmail people into doing no, what you want either. People. I mean, it's, no, so, just so, have it. it yeah, I, again, the again, the only thing I can, the only piece of advice you won't regret is talking to a lawyer. If you start taking, if you walk into your work and start taking pictures of sensitive things, you could get in trouble. You could get sued. Depending on what it is, you could be prosecuted. So, can can I ask yeah. you what states are looser on this kind of stuff? California would be my guess, or you know, uh, I. I I don't know, although I do know that, Mass, that Massachusetts is a one-party state. Meaning? Excuse me, excuse me, I got it wrong. Massachusetts is a two-party state. Both parties have to consent to a recording, whereas D.C. is a one-party jurisdiction. Right, and New York, I think, is a one-party, right, sure. from what I understand. Yeah. So that's one, that's taping. The other is photographs. The other is sensors, people following you around and mo- knowing where you are. When you have your whistleblowers, that's got to be a concern. Yeah, I mean, we've met with former, you know, uh, intelligence officers to train us on how to have meetings without being followed and all the rest of it. So how do you do that? Don't bring any devices with you. Uh, yeah. Take multiple forms of transportation. Learn to look around without looking like you're looking around. Uh, so the old school. Yeah, the old school. It's so funny. I just had a, a, an interview with an election official. They're like, paper. Paper is the technology of the future. Yeah. So not having these. So can we finish up talking sort of about the, the impact of tech on all of this? Because, again, as I said, in one, some ways it makes your job easier. In others, it creates a situation where whistleblowers have never been more at risk. Well, I mean, yeah. Technology, I mean, you you have made a, career, a wonderful career out of this. There's so many different implications uh, in every aspect of our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it does typically create a stronger uh, chain of evidence for misconduct. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, I mean, that's the first insight. And it, uh, you know, as I advise clients on how to avoid retaliation, we are obviously thinking about the technological angle and and, and how uh, these technologies could be creating a a trail to the client that we want to avoid. So so going through, to finish up, if you're going to be a whistleblower, the things you need to do are? Talk to a lawyer. Talk to a lawyer. Uh, secure the evidence, ideally either print it off or buy a new device and take photos. But again, I, I don't want to give blanket advice because sure. you wouldn't do that with in a skiff with no. classified information. Of course not, no. Um, and then uh, y- y- use clean new devices unrelated to you, bought in cash, and use the Signal app. I mean, and, and then go through the systems that you work in, like an inspector general system. Again, uh, th- yeah, I mean, that, that would typically be a way that we would, an option we'd consider. But, you know, every case is different, and some clients really want to put their name on things. Others really don't. I mean, we have a, a State Department client who we use, whose identity we have kept secret uh, who had evidence, you know, that uh, that Secretary, former Secretary Rex Tillerson had violated the Child Soldiers Protection Act and reclassified, basically unclassified Burma and, uh, and uh, Iraq and Afghanistan as not using child soldiers, even though they were. And we were able to keep this person's identity a secret, uh, basically because of how we did it. We, we were smart. We were like, well, we filed it with the IG. We went to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and then they, they're the ones who shared it with the reporter. So it was, it was never directly from the client. I see. Yeah. So in this modern age, when we're thinking about what a whistleblower is, do you, you're saying they're never been more important, correct? You were, uh, that's th- th- my that view. they've never been more important. Will that change? Is there, is there any system that you can imagine where, P, where AI or technology could monitor misbehavior in a better way than having to rely on the bravery of people coming forward where their jobs are at risk? And then secondly, when you're thinking about the concept of retaliation, protecting and proving that people are being retaliating. And so I'm thinking of like tech companies. Right now, Google, for example, the walkout people feel like they're under retaliation, but it's often never provable. Do you imagine technology being able to do that someday or not at all? It just relies on people. Well, the idea of AI monitoring everyone for misconduct is a little <laughs> creepy to me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I would say I'm a sort of techno skeptic on a lot of these things. We uh-huh. obviously use it, but I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of 
more surveillance. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, you, you know, I, I think this is a, it's a cat and mouse game. People are going to try to commit misconduct if they think they can get away with it and it'll help them. And then other people will try to uncover that. I mean, th- this is a sort of a universal human theme here. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's, it is changing with technology, but I don't think, I mean, anyone who, who writes the AI systems will know the workarounds and the hacks. Right, exactly. So. And, and do, you, uh, do you imagine people are getting braver, that they, they feel that when things are gone awry, they want to say, see something, say something? You know, we've seen a real renaissance of whistleblowing over the last 10 years, and it started, uh, you know, so people like Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden uh, have, I would say, a contested legacy, and some people hate them and some people love them. Um, but certainly they've brought it more into the public eye and 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 made people realize that this is a crucial way uh, for 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 holding the government and these corporations accountable. So yeah, I, I think I would say I'm seeing certainly we're seeing an uptick in inquiries. And, and and then the question is, can we bring these disclosures to light uh, without letting these people get hurt? And last question, one of the big things in Silicon Valley is NDAs. People have them all over the place. Should you not sign an NDA? Talk to a lawyer. I I, I mean, every case is different. <laughs> I, I can't give you advice. And, and, and a lot of companies just won't hire you if you don't sign it. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but, but it's unclear whether it's enforceable. So Did you have a point of view on them? There is, you know, th- this gets actually back to our sort of philosophy here. I, I mean, unlike WikiLeaks, we do agree that the government, there is a legitimate scope of secrecy for mm-hmm. U.S. government, at least some secrets, mm-hmm. right? And so we're not 100% transparency, declassify everything, publish everything. No, like some things, you know, there were human rights activists named in some of the Manning cables who had to leave their countries and come to the United sure. States and leave their family, yep. their fa- careers behind. It can be indiscriminate. It shouldn't yeah, be and so, so there are real privacy costs to mass leaks that we recognize, and that makes every case complicated and different. There can be a, a place for secrecy for certain types of secrets, um, especially protecting, you know, people's privacy. But figuring out where to draw that line, I would say, is with the whole society is struggling with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait till we get censored, each of us. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know, right? Anyway, John, thank you for doing the work you do. Uh, but one of the key things is get a lawyer. Get a lawyer, right? Yes. Get a lawyer. Anyway, John, thanks for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. John, where can people find you and Whistleblower Aid online? whistleblowerade.org mm-hmm. and uh, on Twitter at WBAID Law. WBA Law. Yeah, and you can read some of their uh, their cases. Their most prominent one recently has been the situation at MIT where they got a whistleblower to work with a journalist and had quite a lot of results yeah. uh, for that. Um, if you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Friday. Tune in then. HBO Max brings all of HBO to your fingertips plus an epic list of new Max originals. Whether you're into animation, classic movies, or binge-worthy series, HBO Max's suggested collections are curated by real humans, not robots, so you find the right thing to watch every time. With thousands of options for you and the family to choose from, it's the streaming platform of your dreams. HBO Max, where HBO meets so much more. Start streaming now at hbomax.com. HBO Max.